kind of a metaphor for what it means to live life. Now, sometimes we walk for different reasons, right? Sometimes we walk for exercise. Sometimes we walk just to get out and enjoy God's creation. Sometimes we walk for transportation, right? We got to get from point A and we got to get to point B. And sometimes we walk for a cause, right? Sometimes we walk for a reason. But whatever reason we're walking, when we do it with someone else, it's usually better. Together, we are stronger. In fact, that was the theme of a walk that I participated in yesterday. It was supposed to be 3.1 miles or 5 kilometers or something like that, but I'm telling you, it seemed like so much shorter. And I think that maybe it seemed so much shorter because I wasn't walking by myself. I was walking with my wife. I was walking with our kids. I was walking with two friends of ours and their kids. And actually, I was walking with 4,000 of my closest, nearest, newest friends. We were all walking together. We were walking to raise awareness. We were walking to raise funds to overcome a disease called multiple sclerosis. And I'm telling you, it was an awesome experience because everyone was walking together to raise ourselves above the reality of that disease. We named that disease, it's called MS, and everyone would there, if you would ask them, they would say, if they could choose to have MS be part of their life, they would say, no. No one ever planned there to have MS be a part of their lives. We all had hoped it would be different. But we named it, and we walked on. There's something liberating in that. There's something empowering in that. There's something that happens when you do that with so many other people that kind of elevates you above the disease and perhaps the hopelessness that it could bring. Together we're stronger, and 4,000 we walked. It was awesome awesome experience. I want to take another walk with you now together. Let's do it together. Let's walk back 2,000 years ago. We're going to go back again to Easter. In our text today, it's a pretty awesome text. There are millions of Christians throughout the world that are looking at this same text that we are today from Luke chapter 24. And the cool and awesome thing about it, it's a text actually about people walking together. I love how God brings these things together. There is a God. He always tells me that every day. He surprises me all the time. It starts out as a sort of walk like this. It starts out as a transportation walk. It starts out as a walk from getting from point A to point B. And most likely this walk with these individuals, it's a journey home. And this journey home, it starts out in a melancholy, downcast, grief-filled, hopes-dashed sort of way. It's kind of like a two and a half hour drive home from the funeral of a tragic and terrible death of someone you love and hold dear, except you don't have a car, and so you're walking home, faces down, you just want to get home. Anybody ever have something like that happen in their lives? You just want to get home. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, that day is Easter, okay? We're going back to Easter two weeks ago, 2,000 years ago. That same day, two of them, that's two of Jesus' followers, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Most likely, they're going home. About seven miles, that's about two and a half, maybe three-hour walk. You got to remember their dirty roads. They didn't have, you know, tennis shoes like we did. 
most likely a two and a half, three hour walk from Jerusalem. Jerusalem where Jesus had been killed, had been tortured, had been crucified, had been buried. Two days before. Then verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That's the kind of talk that you have driving home from the funeral of a tragic and terrible death of someone you love. Verse 15, as they talked and as they discussed these things, I mean, they were really getting into it. As they discussed these things with each other, I love this verse here. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Talk, discussed, and Jesus comes up and walks along with them. I love that. Verse 16, but it says that they were kept from recognizing him. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, was Jesus asking this question because he wanted to find out an answer because he didn't know? No. He wasn't asking the question because he was trying to get information. He was asking the question because these followers of him, they needed to have that question asked. They needed to talk about it. They needed to name it. And the reality, it says there, they stood still and their faces are downcast. It means they're sad, they're gloomy, they're sullen, they're dark, they're grieving, they're hopeless. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas, he asked Jesus, hey, it's like, dude, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? We learn there from this text right here that the crucifixion of Jesus was a huge thing. There's probably hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at the time, the people that lived there and all the people that gathered together to celebrate the festival. Everybody heard it. It was before TV. It was before the radio. It was before the newspaper, but it spread by word of mouth so quickly. What had happened to this guy named Jesus that he was crucified? And they're like, you didn't hear about this? Verse 19 continues on. Crucifixion of Jesus was a big deal. And Jesus asked, well, what things? I mean, again, it's kind of ironic, right? It happened to him. So he doesn't need to know the answer to the question, right? Again, Jesus is asking them a question a second time. He's asking the question because they need to talk about it. They need to name what's going on. And they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and before all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And then there's these three little words here that if you really think about it and you pause on it long enough, they're perhaps the three saddest words in Scripture. Perhaps they're the three saddest words that maybe we have uttered in our own lives. You may see them there in verse 21. We had hoped. We had hoped. In the past, we had hope, but now we are hopeless. Our hopes are gone. In the past, we had a future. We thought it was going a certain way. We were planning for this, everything. Our whole lives was based on it, but in the past, it's gone. We had hope, but we hope no longer. They had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. And I think that many of us here today, we can hear those three words and we can look in our own lives. And we are as many times that we have said, we had hoped. We had hoped that our child would recover, but we had hoped that cancer would go into remission, but we had hoped that he would stay sober, but 
We had hoped that we could have children of our own, but I had hoped that I was going to get that job, but I hoped the job would have lasted, but I was hoping to get into that college, but I was hoping that mom and dad would stay together, but it's hoping. We had hoped. I don't know about you, but I could keep on going on list, list after list, and you probably all have something like that in your life. I know that my family has. I know that I have. When we have said, we had hoped this, but this happened. Verse 21, that's what's going on with these followers of Jesus. We had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel And then what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And in addition, some of the women among us, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early this very morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then Jesus, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm telling you, man, that would have been one long sermon, but one of the awesomest, and you wouldn't have fallen asleep like you're falling asleep right now. Powerful. Two and a half, three hour sermon from Jesus explaining all the scriptures about himself. Many people think that the entire book of Acts is based on that conversation with these two guys. And the, the, the journey continues in verse 28. As they approached the village, that's Emmaus, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to walk further. But they urged him strongly. They said, stay with us, remain with us, abide with us. For it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And I love this, then their eyes, they were opened and they recognized Jesus. And then Jesus disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and when he opened the scripture to us? And so immediately it says they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. That wasn't a seven mile drive, right? That was like a two and a half, three hour walk in the night, in the dark, back to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those with them assembled together, it says, and they said, it is true, the Lord has risen. I wonder what their faces look like then. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them by the when he broke the bread. And on the whole story, they told it. It's true. The Lord is risen. And I'm telling you, when I look at this text, when I look at this text, there's so much going on here. There's so many awesome things for us to unpack, so many questions to ask, so many things to think about. But the thing I'm driven to is what, what a walk. That was. It wasn't a let's get out and get some exercise sort of walk. It wasn't I'm going to get out and enjoy God's creation sort of walk. It started out as a walk 
from point A to point B. It started out as I walk from the grief of Jerusalem where Jesus, their, their, their rabbi, their Lord, their teacher, had been tortured and crucified. They were walking there from the grief of Jerusalem to perhaps maybe just a little comfort at home in Emmaus. But my friends, it turned into perhaps the first walk for a cause ever. You see, we often do expect to encounter God like up on the mountaintop or in a burning bush or in an upper room. We never expect to encounter God on a two and a half hour drive home from a miserable, terrible, tragic funeral with some stranger who's hitched a ride from us. We don't think about encountering God that way. But that's the beauty, that's the mystery, that's the surprise, that's the power of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus. These two followers of Jesus who aren't anybody in the world's eyes, they're walking home from this traumatic week. Their faces are downcast, they're struck with grief, their hope is shattered, they, it is all gone, they're hopeless. We had hoped. And then Jesus walks alongside of them in their grief, in their confusion, in their pain, in their hopelessness. And he asks them questions. Not because he needs the answers, but because they need to say it out loud. They need to name it. They need to identify it. We had hoped, they said. Basically, they said we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the new president of our Jewish nation. But now Rome and the corrupt Jewish leaders, they're going to stay in power. We had hoped that, but... I think when we look at this text, we start to see something very important here. We start to see how important it is for us to name our pain in our lives, to name the grief, to name the loss, to name the disease, to name the fear, to name the insecurity, to name the frustration, to name the thing, whatever it is that caused us to say, we had hoped this, but now this is happening. And I think that naming that thing, identifying that thing, it's an essential part of us moving beyond it, not erasing it from our lives because it may very well be with us until Jesus comes again, not fully leaving it behind it, but us transcending it, us elevating above it. Whatever that it is for you that we had hoped, but it no longer defines who you are. You see, the disciples, they were, they were disappointed they were disappointed because fundamentally they misunderstood how God was going to work to save the world. They wanted a God of militant power. But their God, their Lord, their rabbi, their Messiah was nailed to a tree and their hopes were gone. They were expecting a warrior God, but they got a suffering servant. See, even though they misunderstood God, their pain and their grief and their hopelessness were real. And the first thing that Jesus does is he walks alongside of them. He walks with them. And then he gets them talking. He asks them some questions. And then they name it. And then they say, we had hoped. And there, right in the midst of their hopelessness, right where they least expected it, God shows up. I want you to think about your life. Think about the worst place you've ever been. It may be an emotional place. It may be a relational place. It may be a spiritual place. It may be a physical place. 
the worst place you ever be. Maybe you're right there this very morning or you're on the way to it. Could God himself show up there? My friends, the message of Easter, the message of the resurrection of Jesus is that God has, God can, God does, and God will show up there. He can take the dashed hope and and downcast faces. He can take a miserable seven-mile, three-hour walk home, and he can turn it into the greatest walk for the greatest cause ever. Hope restored, eyes open to a new reality, hearts on fire with the word of God, lips proclaiming that the Lord has risen. Those two guys, those two dudes, Cleopas and some other guy, we don't even know his name. They started out that Easter leaving Jerusalem. They never dreamed that that very night in the dark that they would be hurrying back to Jerusalem filled with joy, with an unbelievable message of hope to proclaim. My friends, we learn from this scripture today that that is the journey that we have with Jesus. That's the Christian life. That's the abundant life. That's what it looks like to walk with him. It's a walk from dashed hope to hearts on fire, to eyes open to unexpected realities. And then I love this part the best, to walking back into the very place that stole your hope with a message of victory. Cleopas and that other guy, they walked right back into Jerusalem, the very place that stole their hope. Love that. And they proclaimed a message of victory in Jesus. My friends, that's a dirty and it's a dusty road. And sometimes it's in the dark. For some of us, it's seven miles. For some of us, it's 70 miles. For some of us, it's 700 miles. For some of us, it's a 7,000-mile journey. But I want you to know this and leave here today knowing that Jesus is walking with you. The road is before us. Jesus walks with us. And we walk with each other for the greatest cause ever. Let's take it one step at a time. Together, we are stronger.